right? If anybody wants to go to the children's church, we can do that. At this time, the rest of you can turn to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1. We did this maybe two or three years ago on Wednesday nights, and it has just really been on my heart, and I thought we would make our way through this book over the next, of course, the next few Sundays here on Sunday morning worship. And so what you'll see on the slide is I desire what? Mercy. I desire mercy. But I think what's interesting today, the title of the message today is No Mercy. So in a book that is really full of this idea of chasing after compassion and love, we're going to see a little bit of the opposite today. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But let's start off this morning. Again, um, I hope you'll understand Hosea is a very difficult text, and you'll see why here pretty quickly as we read in King James. But let's look together. Hosea chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 1 through 3 just as we get started this morning. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived, and bare him a son. That's a way to start off a book, isn't it? Now, if you are familiar with a lot of the prophets and you study the prophets, they do some crazy things, right? To do as examples. Uh, Isaiah was actually one of the prophets. They said he went naked for three years through the streets to convey a point. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems really strange (laughs) to me, right? Here, the Lord has asked something very strange of Hosea. He wants Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute now what do you think about that right that is a very strange command now we're going to make our way through the whole book and we'll break it in chunks and pieces but what i think you will see when we get to the end is a few different things one thing i want you to know is that you're going to find there is a god who pursues but also a god who judges You talked about uh, contemporary and traditional music this morning, right? (laughs) The two sides. You're going to see in the scriptures a God who pours out his wrath and a God who's, they call it hesed love, that merciful love, who chases after his people. You're going to see both of these things, and they're both God, right? How many of you can throw a good temper tantrum? Yeah, I figured a few of you out there could, right? How many of you are loving, compassionate? How many of you can do both of those things? <laughs> okay, and that's where I want you to think about as we make our way through this book, is you're going to see a holy God who is also a loving God. Now, one of the things that has really hit me, and I, I'm having such a hard time conveying this, but I hope I can do this a little bit today. One of the main points of the book of Isaiah, excuse me, Hosea, 
is that we would have a much better understanding of marriage and marriage as it displays who God is. Usually when we think of marriage, we don't really think about who God is because of the way we look at marriage, do we, right? We just say, oh, there's that guy and they grew, that girl. They go good together. Congratulations. We were at Riker's wedding last week. It was really fun. But do you see God when you look at marriage? And that is what the Lord is actually going to try to reveal to his people during this time. And I hope that you'll hear me out today. Please hear me out today. Marriage is not to be taken lightly. Can you hear me today? I'm trying to be careful. I know a lot of people in this room have dealt with struggle in marriage, right? Some of you have been through difficult things in your marriage. Uh, marriage is not to be taken lightly. We have a few young adults in this room who are not married yet, but maybe getting married soon. Marriage is not to be taken lightly. It's not something you can decide to, oh, I'll get in, well, if I don't like it, I'll work it out later. That is not the picture of God and the bride of Christ, okay? And I want you to see that today. I hope you can see that even despite your, your preacher here today. The issue is Israel was forsaking their relationship with God, and so God's going to draw that out. Let's jump back in in verse 1. I want you to first notice the time of Hosea, the time of Hosea. Hope this, stay with me here, this is important, but it's not the most exciting stuff. Names are going to be really important in this book. Anybody know what Hosea means? Who's the quickest Googler in church? Right? The name Hosea means salvation. Who else's name means salvation? Jesus, right? Jesus and Joshua and Hosea, they all have the same root word, and that word is salvation. So as you're looking at the big picture of this book, I want you to be reminded of this truth. God's desire is redemption. It is reconciliation. It is salvation. But you're going to hear some texts and some passages, and you're going to be like, whoa, that is hard. That is harsh. But again, the whole big picture is that God would reclaim and redeem his people, that it is about salvation. What was the time of Hosea? It was 8th century. How many of you are good at your centuries? When were the 8th century? What is the mid-8th century? What year is that? 750. Right? Good job. Some of you, I saw you mouthing it. Way to go. So Hosea lives and ministers. I should just say lives. But he ministers between 760, and then you go down in numbers before Christ, right? to 720, that's the time that he is trying to speak and preach and declare to his people for them to turn from their wicked ways and seek the Lord. Now, if you know a little bit about history, again, I'm trying to go too deep in this. Um, you guys are probably familiar with a lady by the name of Jezebel. Um, did you have Jezebel in your Sunday school lesson today? Yeah, right. Then the Lord puts it all together, doesn't he, right? <laughs> Jezebel was a very wicked woman. She also had a wicked husband. What was his name? Ahab, right? Remember Ahab and Jezebel, right? Well, Ahab and Jezebel, they were promoting Baal worship all throughout the country. You remember, you know, the fire falling from heaven, right? That's Ahab and Jezebel's day. Remember all the prophets of Baal cutting themselves? 
That's the same day. The Lord uses a man by the name of Jehu who will come and he will destroy Ahab and Jezebel. And after that, there will be some kings that will be set up because of what Jehu has done. Now listen to this. In just 20 years, Israel will have six different kings and four of them will be assassinated and the last one will be forcibly removed from the throne. And you think it's bad politics here in the United States, right? In 20 years, four of your kings are assassinated because somebody else wants power, they kill that king, and they take over, okay? And the last one is going to be forcibly removed by the Assyrians there in 722. Also, I want you to pay attention a little bit as well. Again, this is a little tricky, but hang with me. The kings that we read here in the first three verses, these kings... The first ones are actually the kings of the southern kingdom. Again, hang with me. A lot of you guys know this, but just so we're on the same track, right? Who's the first king of Israel? Saul. Who's the second king? David, right? And then after David comes Solomon. And after Solomon comes... You guys are doing so good. Rehoboam, right? Rehoboam says, you know what? The young guys come around him and the old guys come around him. And he says, uh, I'm going to do things different than my dad did. And the old guys say, you know what you need to really do is you need to lower the taxes. See, they were definitely Republicans. And then he said, what we want you to do after that is we want you to ease the labor on the, the Israelites. And what the young guys say? Rehoboam? You got to make a name for yourself, bro. You better stand up and declare, and you better put the hammer on and raise the taxes and let people know that you're the king. What happened to the kingdom? The kingdom split, okay? So you're going to have 10 of the tribes go north. They're going to hang together, and then you're going to have Judah and Benjamin in the south, and they're going to hang together, okay? Well, what we're talking about here with Hosea is he is talking to those 10 tribes in the north. But what's interesting is he lists the kings in the south. Why does he do that? Because he wants them to learn from the mistakes of the northern kingdom. And it also helps give them a reference to the, the times of things, right? That happened back in the days of Reagan. Oh, those were the days of Nixon. Some of you are like, Nixon, who? That was the days of Bush, right? If that's the way he is relating what he is saying so that people can be like, oh, okay, now I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, here is the problem, and this is where we're going to get, and you're going to have to do the work over the next few weeks if the Lord is going to speak to you. Israel had not stopped worshiping Baal. And what they were doing is they were putting together the things that they were taught from Moses and the things that they were taught from Baal. What's the problem in that? If I give you a bottle of algaecide, Ray just took some of it and put it out in the pond out there, and I say, well, I know that's not great, but we're going to dilute it with like a gallon of water, how many of you will drink that? The poison is still poison, right? 
even if you put truth, even if you put more truth in than you put in the poison, if you still got the poison, it's going to kill you, right? And that's the issue here. And here's where I want you to hear me out today. I know that you guys are not bowing down to a wooden idol or a stone idol, but what we have a problem today in the church is we have decided to put together things of the world and the things of God and try to enjoy both things. And God says, I'm sick of it. There's the summary of Hosea for you, right? What you need to do over the next few weeks is you've got to figure out, Lord, where am I bringing in things from the world that are poison and I need to get them out of my life? And where are you and am I really worshiping and chasing after you or am I still kind of playing around with Baal? Okay? You guys do that work with the preacher and we'll make our way. I'll try to do the best I can to help you make your way through that. But that is the problem here. And the issue is, even though God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet, the people have not changed their ways. They will not listen. Now, I'm going to give you a quick highlight of hope. The good news is that God will still have hope for a remnant, and he will chase them down. But the bad news is that Israel is about to be judged by God. If you guys know your world history, in 722, Assyria will attack the northern tribes and will take them away captive, and they will no longer be a nation. All right, I think we hope we have an idea of the context where we're at. Let's jump in with God's command to Hosea. Look down at verse 2. Marry a prostitute. Marry a prostitute. Verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now this is really strange, isn't it, right? How could God ask a person who was chasing after him to go and marry someone who was living a wicked lifestyle? But what God is doing is to try to convey to this wicked people how horrible the things that they are doing are to them. So he asks, he doesn't ask, he commands Hosea to marry a prostitute. If you do some study, you will see some people think that actually she would become a prostitute, but I don't think the scripture says that. He says, the Lord says, go and find a promiscuous woman and marry her. And so I think she was already displaying these attributes when God told Hosea to go and to marry her. Now what is interesting in the way that God works, as we read through the book, it looks like that Hosea really loved her. It wasn't just, do this because I said so. But actually, Hosea will have an incredible love for this promiscuous woman named Gomer. And so God is going to try to use this example to demonstrate how he feels about the unfaithfulness of his own people. Now, again, names mean something here in the book. Hosea means salvation. Gomer means completion or coming to an end. Now, I, this is some penology right here, but I think what the Lord is saying through his people by the name Gomer, he's saying to them, your time is up. Because it won't be but just a couple years after Hosea finishes his prophecy that the people will be taken captive. Again, I, Hosea will love Gomer, but she will not be faithful to him. Now, that was a perfect picture of Israel in the day, right? Had God done anything for Israel? 
That's a dumb question, isn't it? <laughs> it's still so hard sometimes, isn't it? You think like, man, if I was able to walk across the Red Sea where my grandparents did, if I was able to see the walls come down, if I got the manna, if, if I was able to see the kingdom of Solomon in all its glory and splendor, why would I not worship the Lord? What we find out again from history is that actually before, right before the time here of Hosea, Israel was one of its most prosperous places. Isn't it interesting how prosperity after prosperity follows a, a wayward heart? Why is that? Because when you have everything you want, you don't need God. Amen? Don't say amen. Right? That's how we work, isn't it, right? And that's where Israel was. They had so much prosperity that they were not dependent. They were not seeking God. Now, here's what I want to challenge you. I think absolutely this is a perfect picture of Israel in the day because they were worshiping Baal rather than seeking the Lord. But here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid this is a perfect picture of the church today. Do you hear me? I did not say this is a picture of the United States. I didn't say it's a picture of Indianapolis. I said I think it's a picture of the church because we blend. Things get good. Life is good. We forget where the Lord is, and we start blending things together. Again, over the next few weeks, this book's going to challenge us to check our faithfulness to God and see if we are really pursuing him or other gods. And I know you're going to tell me, I'm not worshiping other gods, and I'm going to tell you when we put other things in front of God, we are worshiping other gods. That is not my words. All right, let's look here again. Jezreel, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him the son born to Gomer. Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So names are significant. Hosea means what? Salvation. Um, Gomer means what? Completed or coming to an end. Jezreel. Do you know what that means? scattered or sown what's going to happen to the people of god here in the north that they're going to be scattered all across the world and they're going to lose their homeland right so that's a prophecy in the name jezreel but also do you know what happened at jezreel remember i just told you a little about jehu going to ahab and jezebel jehu was fighting them in the valley of jezreel and if you remember a little bit of the story uh, Jehu will end up, they say he drove his chariot furiously. All my life when I was a little kid, my mom would say, you're driving your chariot like Jehu to my dad all the time because <laughs> he drove crazy. Jehu was known for being a crazy wild man, but he is used as an instrument of God to take out Jezebel and to take out Ahab, but he also does a little bit more than he's called to do, and he will end up killing the king through uh, kind of starting the killing process of the southern tribe. His name is Ahaziah. So not only does Jehu kill Ahab and Jezebel, but he also wounds the king, and that king will die from those injuries. And guess where the battle happened? Jezreel, right? Are you tracking with me now? So he's starting to put all this together, and that's what Hosea is saying. Just like in Jezreel, my name of this child is going to be Jezreel, and it's, it's a sign that the people will be scattered, but it's also a sign that God does not forget what you do. You ever think that? Like, wh when does God forget? This is an awesome truth. When you repent, God forgets. Thank you, Rick. I was going to scream and shout. 
Isn't that the most awesome thing? As far as the east is from the west, on the bottom of the ocean floor, when you repent, God forgets. But when you don't repent, God does not forget. And he did not forget Jezreel, and he did not forget Jehu. Now hang with me here just a little bit, but 2 Kings 10.30, we'll pull that up here for you this morning. We're going to see this, how Jehu was used in a good way. The Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. But look in verse 31. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. What was the sin of Jeroboam? It was the adultery of idolatry. <laughs> Are you tracking with this? Jehu is actually going to go and kill, excuse me, go and kill Ahab and go and kill Jezebel because of the Baal worship. But what's going to happen is he's still going to do Baal worship even after he takes them out. And God will not forget. Jezreel, God will not forget. So when the scriptures say that God is avenging the blood here of, of Jezreel, it could very well be that while God is pleased with the destruction of Jezebel and Ahab, he did not condone the killing of Ahaziah. And so this is God's judgment. All right. First child, his name was Jezreel. You guys are doing good. Let's go to the next one. Look at verse 6. Lo Ruhamah. Lo Ruhamah. I don't know anybody named that around here. Do you? It's kind of a cool name. I kind of like it. Let's see what it means. You may not like it so much. Verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruamah, which means what? Not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should all at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. All right, I'm going to keep you with me. You guys are doing good. I know it's hard. You're doing good. Hosea means what? Salvation. Gomer means completed, right? Jezreel means scattered. And now we have the daughter, the, the middle child, Lorumma. And according to NIV, says not loved. That same word, the word is hesed. In many places, it's translated mercy. So the child's name, Lorumma, when you would hear it, like not like we hear it, but when the people around heard it, they would either hear not loved or no mercy. How would that feel? <laughs> right? A lot of times we don't really know what our names mean. We don't think about it that much. But when it was actually those words, they had much more meaning. And when the people that were around Hosea, when they saw, oh, there's Jezreel. Oh, yeah, God's going to follow through on that. Oh, there's Loruma. Yeah, God is not going to show any more mercy. Are you tracking with how the Lord was using this example to the people that were around? Lo Ruma is a wake-up call. Whenever Hosea or Gomer called her name, it was a reminder that Israel was no longer beloved, no longer blessed, and they would not feel the mercy of the Lord, but his wrath would be extended to them because of their unfaithfulness. Again, hear me this morning. God is slow to anger, but justice is coming. That is not my word. That is the word of the Lord. 
Jezreel. He does not forget. His justice is coming. Now, again, what I think you're going to find out later on, it's so interesting to me, God's going to show that he's a God of mercy in this book, but here he is telling the northern kingdom he is done with them. Yet for Judah, (laughs) this is awesome, God says, I'm still going to spare them. Their time hasn't come yet. The army of Assyria that destroyed Israel, that took Israel, the northern tribe, away in 722, they will also attack the southern kingdom of Judah. As a matter of fact, a guy by the name of Sennacherib is going to bring about 185,000 people to come and to take away Judah. And guess who intervenes? It wasn't uh, bullets and guns, and it wasn't bows and arrows, and it wasn't some incredible Israelite army. God miraculously delivers his people, and he still will if we seek after him. All right, Jezreel, and then we have Lo-Ruma. Now look at Lo-Ami, verse 8. We're almost there, guys. You're doing great. After she had weaned Lo-Ruma, Gomer had another son, and then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And look what he says here. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Wow. Can you get the feeling of that? Let's look in Exodus chapter 6. Just a reminder about how this all started. Exodus 6, verse 6, the Bible says, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Look at verse 7. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In the book of Exodus, God declares his love for his people. He loves them, he is their God, and they are his people. And here we are in Hosea, and God says, Lo Ruamah, you're no longer loved. And God says, Lo Ami, you are not my people. Wow. You feel the condemnation? Again, the Lord is trying to speak to his people so clearly in order that they might turn from their wicked ways, but also to just speak the truth that justice is coming, and he does not neglect justice. From the Exodus, God would be Israel's God, made known through the plagues, and his reputation would go before him, and they would be his people. Not only did they worship him, but but he adopted them, but no longer is Israel God's people. They have chosen something else to be their God, and he will not spare his people from his wrath any longer. Can you get it from God's perspective? Let's go back to the marriage idea again. How would you feel if your spouse or your spouse-to-be decided that they would just go find some other lovers and other friends? How about if you forgave them and you forgave them even though they maybe weren't asking for forgiveness? And they did it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Now you're getting where God is at. And that's why he's so upset with his people. And that's why he has has decided that they're going to face judgment. Okay? All right. Let's look at verse 10. And here's the point of the lesson for this day. God will honor his promises to to the wrath and to the good. 
Verse 10, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of... Just read it. God doesn't forget. You didn't get it. I'll pray that you'll get it later today. It'll click. <laughs> Great will be the day of Jezreel. God doesn't forget Jezreel. He's going to avenge it. He's going to make it happen. And what's going to eventually happen is God's name is going to be made great in that place where his name was maligned. Justice is going to come. The people who were not his people, right? Loami, yeah. They're going to be his people again. The people who were not loved, Loruma, they're going to be loved again. The people that have been scattered are going to be brought back together. And they're going to worship not idols. They're going to worship the Lord. And I love how the word is dictated here in verse 10. They'll be called the children of the what kind of God? The living God. Children of the living God as opposed to the children of the stone. The children of the piece of wood the children of the monkey god <laughs> no they're going to be called the children of the living god which is kind of interesting because i think today we are the children of a living god amen he's not in a tomb anymore is he he's alive the same living god we worship is who they would worship all these things would come together <coughs> all right so let's wrap it all up this morning i have just a few things for you to think about Lord has been really challenging me that I would try to convey to you who God is more often. So I've been even reading a book. Ask Wendy how often I read a book. Almost never, other than the Bible. I read my Bible, but I don't read other books. I've been reading Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It has been so good to remind me about who God is. So here's what I want you to do with me today. As you look through this passage, and really as you do any Bible study, before you start looking at what does this mean to me, I want you to look and say, what does this passage say about who God is? What does this passage say? What does Hosea chapter 1 say about who God is? First thing I want you to see this morning, God has his limits. Is God patient? <laughs> is he understanding? Is he full of compassion? If you study the book of Jonah, you know that he is, right? Incredible. But he has his limits. You can only cheat on him so long, and he will bring about justice. And he does to his own people for his name. He chastises them. Hear me out this morning a little bit, especially you people that are married and those who may be contemplating marriage. You are not doing anybody good, any good when you just continually pretend that you're being kind when you're suffering instead of calling out what is wrong. God is laying it out here that this needs to change. God has his limits. He will discipline. He will judge. Next thing, God will deliver on his terms and for his glory. <laughs> okay, I, I could word it another way. Let's make it real simple. It's not about you. How many of you think it's about you today? No, it's not. And the Lord continues to teach me. God will do things on his terms. Next thing here this morning, <laughs> this is crazy, but true. God will go to great lengths to make his message known. Here he had a man marry a prostitute. And I didn't really hit, even hit on this, but most likely those children were probably not Hosea's children. 
not my people, was not my child. Not loved, was not my child. The Hosea is going to love them even though the Lord named them that way. The Lord still goes to great lengths to make his message known, and we need to be a part of that. We're so thankful for people like Anna and Emily Petty who are helping us to do that as well. And here's the last little thing before we get too far. Even though God judges, and he does, he will keep his promises of goodness to you. Here's what I want you to see. God is chasing after you. This is for the preacher and all the other men here today that are married. Don't stop chasing. Chase your wife. Pursue her for her goodness, for her pleasure, for her strength, for her uplifting. Don't quit. The Lord is that example to us. Okay, real quick, some reminders about our character. First thing, we need to make sure that we are striving for faithfulness. That's the whole problem in this passage is they decided they were going to choose other gods than the one true God. So before we get too far this morning, are you being faithful to the one true God? I'm going to try to be careful here. This is tricky. Um, In your marriage, is your marriage a picture of God's love for his people and of Christ's love for the church? Whoa, (laughs) right? For your marriage to be an example to others of God's love for his people and Christ's love for the church, the very first thing, if it's nothing else at all, it's got to be faithful, amen? It needs to be full of love, abounding in compassion and understanding. If we're going to convey to our church family and to our community God's love for his people and Christ's love for the church, that means we have to treat our marriages with all the dignity and the value and respect they deserve. And we live in a culture that really doesn't even care about marriage, right? We've got to make that stand. All right. You guys, let's go ahead and stand this morning. And we will go back and forth. I know Hosea will be a lot of teaching as well as what we would refer to normal as preaching. But hopefully you can let the Lord speak to your heart as we make our way through each of these things. Let's take just a moment together, and we're going to pray. And again, what I want you to ask yourself and where I want you to be is, Lord, am I letting any of the world creep into my worship of you and my love for you? Am I trying to put two things together? Am I taking the poison along with the truth? And I pray that, Lord, it would cut the poison out of our hearts and that our love would be what it would be. Also this morning, as a secondary thought for those of you that are married, uh, would you really pray about your, your marriage? And that your marriage would be something that displays God's love for his people and Christ's love for the church. All right, let's go, Lord, in prayer.